I wonder what are you looking forward to in life? You see, the way that life works is that you and I, we get a vision for our future. It can be your hopes, your dreams, your longings, and then you make a plan how to move your life in that direction. And so for some of you who are young, your, your plan in life is to graduate so that you can make some more money finally and maybe stop having to attend classes. Some of you are single, would like to get married. Some of you are married, would like to have kids. For some, it's time to finally pay down that debt or make a plan to buy a home or to get healthy maybe physically or mentally. For some of us, it's relational stuff. Maybe it's that time we make a plan to reconnect with someone or reconcile a relationship. And how do you know what is most important to you in this life? The things that are most important are the things that get a plan, that we invest our time and energy into. And so most of us, we try to figure out how to plan the direction of our dollars and our days through organizing or scheduling or budgeting or coaching classes. And we try to fish out principles to help us achieve our vision for tomorrow. Now here's the problem. You see, we find that a lot of counsel actually turns out to be pretty ungodly. It's opposed to scripture or the values and ethics of God. So there's ungodly counsel. And then some of us, we find that there's godless counsel. It doesn't say anything negative about Jesus, but it doesn't say anything about God. So it's all about your dreams and your destiny now, the book of Ecclesiastes describes that as meaningless, vanity, life under the sun, as if there is no one above the sun whom we come from and whom we answer to. Godless counsel. And then there's God light, where we learn these best practices, tips and tricks about improving our life and achieving our dreams. And then it kind of tacks on vague, uh, generalized spiritual references. And remember, after you do all these tips, be sure to take care of your soul. Or maybe it might add a little Bible verse or a, a quote from some religious leader, God light. And as a result, the plans for our lives and our future really don't include Jesus. So the question this morning is, what does the Bible say about planning ahead and how do we incorporate our faith into that? If you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to James chapter 4. We are in this series called Vibrant where we're learning how a faith that works even when life doesn't. And so we've been understanding that as we're tested by trials and temptations, that a vibrant faith perseveres by living out God's wisdom. And so uh, in our perspectives, in our practices, and so the whole point of James is, does your life match your beliefs? Is the inside flowing to the outside? And because our relationship with Jesus cannot be compartmentalized, to just some areas. We need it integrated throughout all areas. It has to flow from what's inside outwards. And so last time we talked about how godly conflict isn't about winning, but about worshiping. And James talks about how to do that by practicing our pursuit of humility, our humility before God. And that today, James is going to apply that same principle into how a vibrant faith plans ahead by practicing humility before God. That's the main point in the next slide, Benji. And so James talks about how to be humble in heart in light of God, and that that's the necessary requirement in order for us to be successful in navigating life's issues. Just like we learned the last several weeks in our words, in our wisdom, in our conflicts, chapters three through four, 
And so today, we're going to discover how do you apply that humility to our priorities, to our plans, to our pursuits in this life. James chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so what James is saying here, Pastor James, Brother James, he talks about how we talk, how we talk about our plans reveals how we really think about them. In verse 13, someone might say, well, I've got it all figured out. I'm in charge, verse 13, of what I do, trading, of when I do it, today or tomorrow of our destination and the duration. I'm going to go to this town for this year. And we think we're in charge of how successful we'll be. I will make a profit. And so we see in verse 13 that it's all about what I coordinate, what I control without a trace of Jesus. And so we also tend to talk about our plans and priorities uh, for our future the same way. That if I just study hard this year, then I'll get into college. Or if I get in shape at the end of that next year, then I can do these things in life. Or I can build a portfolio, or I can travel the world, or I'm going to eat good food. And year after year, I'm going to get married, and then maybe get a house, and then have some kids. I'm going to make VP by the time I'm 40 and retire by 60, and then I'll call it a day. Now, what is wrong with that? Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says that you don't know the future, you can't control the future, that we have a false sense of our sovereignty and mastery over our circumstances. And it's presumptuous, he says. Well, why does that matter? And so Pastor James, he asks the million-dollar question, what is your life? You are a mist, a vapor, a breath that appears for a little time, and then vanishes. And so what he means by that is that our lives are short, they're fragile, that they're not in our control. And so I think about uh, back in 2018, uh, the people from our growth group, Lori Campbell, Daniel Bowe's family, and my family, we drove up to Reno with our kids for them to be able to play in the snow for for a day. And we were looking, once we got to the place that we were playing at and sledding, in the car thermometer, the temperature was 8 degrees Fahrenheit. For those of you who don't do measurements, it's 24 degrees below freezing. And so the kids went sledding, they were playing in the snow for a little bit, they lasted for about 30 minutes. And so as I stood there in the bitter cold, contemplating that I had driven four and a half hours, 240 miles, so that my kids could play in the snow for 30 minutes, I exhaled quite sharply. (sighs) And I could see that puff of vapor that came out of my mouth. And then it's gone forever. James says, that is your life. A few years before that, in 2016, uh, my family went with uh, the Bo family and, and, and De- Pastor Dennis's family and uh, Robert Wang to, to Japan for vacation. And uh, our family was on a flight, return flight home by itself. So the other families had uh, other different flights returning home. And as I was sitting on that plane, I was 
contemplating because, of course, my mind is starting to turn back to what do I need to do at church and what are the responsibilities that I have. So I was thinking about all that I need to do when I get home, my plans. Suddenly, the plane hit tremendous turbulence, probably the worst that I'd ever experienced on a flight, followed by these rapid, gut-churning drops of the plane, one after another. And one of them was so long and so steep, I, Melissa would tell you it wasn't that bad, but I swear that it felt like it was at least a couple of seconds. And so I want you to imagine your plane is dropping one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And so as I stood there, sat there in my seat, both my wife and I clutching our son Indy, and Violet was five months old at the time. The plane's going down. This may be it. Are you aware that your life is a breath? It's short, it's fragile, it is not in your control. You can go at any time, and all of us go sometimes. That is why we do not put our faith in our plans, but we put our faith in Jesus. Now, a vibrant faith knows to hold your plans loosely because of the reality of life's uncertainty. You see, when you and I, we live in light of our mortality, it brings about a deep sense of humility. There's a clarity about the limits of our control and the value of our goals because there's no one who goes to their deathbed wishing that they had worked more hours. Isn't that true? And so I want you to be thinking to yourself, how am I being presumptuous by assuming that I'm in charge, I'm in control of the plans for my family, my finances, and my future? Because if life is but a breath. How does that change your targets and your trajectory of your plans? What would you let go of? What would you enjoy more? And I wonder for how many of us, if our plans are very self-sufficient, where they are sometimes ungodly, maybe godless, maybe god-light, how might God be using circumstances and pain to pry your grip off of your plans. Now, is James saying, because we don't know tomorrow, don't bother making a plan? That's not the truth. Throughout the Bible, things like Proverbs is full of counsel about being wise by planning ahead. And so what he is saying is, do I have the humility to hold my plans loosely? So what's the alternative then? How do we plan wisely? Verse 15 Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So we have here in verse 15, instead of fooling ourselves by saying that I'm in, in control, we acknowledge if the Lord wills, because our breath and our activity are all under God's authority, it says. Now, what it's not saying is, don't plan. It is saying, is he the Lord? Is he involved? Is he in charge of your plans? So I wonder if you've ever had those nights. Uh, maybe some of you are more easygoing than me. I'm a high-strung person. So you ever have those nights where you just toss and turn late at night, and you're worrying about your designs and wrestling with your doubts about God's plan for your future? And so you're, for me, I'm saying things like, Lord, under a pale moon for so many years, I've wondered, who you are. How could a person like you bring me joy 
or a future or a hope? Or will I trust James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights? Do you know him and trust him with your plans? Do you know and trust that he's good and that he's God? Now, what does James mean when he says, if the Lord wills? You see, I hear people say it sometimes, and it can easily become a Christian cliche, like somebody who says with everything that they, they, they mention, if the Lord wills, or Lord willing this, Lord willing that. And so if you ask your very religious friend, maybe at dinner time, can you pass the bread? Lord willing, I'll pass the bread. <laughs> well, then Lord willing, I won't slap you with it for saying the Lord, Lord, Lord willing so many times in, in front of us. Don't, you don't need to say it all the time for everything because we don't need more cliches What we need is more conviction. And the conviction that we're looking for is, have I sought the Lord? Have I sought wise and biblical counsel? Have I prayed and planned? And now as I make these plans, I believe to the best of my understanding that what I'm planning to do is right and pleasing in his sight. But I could be wrong. He's the Lord. Therefore, I'm going to write my plans in pencil. And I welcome him if he changes my plan. And so the key here, just like I said, the main theme of this whole passage is a posture of humility before Jesus, to submit ourselves and our plans humbly to Jesus' lordship and authority, his sovereignty. And the issue is humility because you see in verse 16, the opposite of if the Lord wills is this tendency to be boastful and arrogant about our role. The opposite of humble. Look at what I prepared or what I provide or what I produce without a trace of God governing the decisions, directions, and actions in my life. And the Bible says it's pride and it's evil. It's the opposite of God's authority and our humility before him. So what does this look like? Well, there's two ways that pride tries to drive our plans when it comes to the issues of sovereignty and separation. So let's talk about sovereignty first. What I mean is that God being in charge. Some of us, we're very driven, we're very visionary, and so as you make your plans for today or tomorrow, who is sovereign? Who's in charge? Me or God? Who gets to determine the direction and the outcome of your plans? Who gets to change the direction and the outcome? If God were to say to you, go, Or if God were to say to you, no, are you willing to follow where he leads? Now, some of us, we're passive and easygoing, so we feel like this is not my problem. I don't make a schedule. I don't budget. I don't write things down. God is sovereign, and so uh, I don't bother making plans. I just trust the Lord. That's not what if the Lord wills means. When we say if the Lord wills, It's not an excuse to avoid planning. It's an expectation to empower your planning. It's a picture of standing before God and holding your plans with an open hand instead of a closed fist. And then it gives you freedom. A lot of times we don't make plans because we're fearful of disappointments or defeat. And so if you're an easygoing person, making plans before God gives you a lot of freedom and confidence because if it's under God's hands, then we pursue it humbly We trust God joyfully, we can move forward boldly, and we allow Jesus to redirect our steps when necessary so we don't have to fear our failures. When we submit ourselves and our plans 
to his authority. It gives humility to those who are confident, and it gives confidence to those who are humble. That's sovereignty, who's in charge. Now, other times, the issue when we are not being humble, when we're not submitting our, our plans to God, is separation. What I mean by that is a tendency to compartmentalize our plans away from God. And so a lot of us, we falsely have this dichotomy in our lives that these things are sacred and these things are secular. That church and ministry and Sundays belong to Jesus. He's in charge. But my work and my portfolio and my relationships and the rest of my week belong to me. I'm in charge. If the Lord wills, declares that Jesus rules and reigns over it all, that every area belongs to him because he is the Lord. Practically, what is this going to look like? Well, let's wrap it up with verse 17. So, you can tell we're coming to a conclusion here. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. That is a weird place to, to wrap things up, Pastor James. So why, why did you write it that way? Well, see, the Bible talks about two types of sins. Sins of commission and sins of omission. That's when we do the things we shouldn't, we commit sins, and, or, and when we fail to do the things we should in obedience to God. So oftentimes, we're aware of the sins that we commit. I lusted, I lied, I stole. But we also sometimes dismiss the good that we omit. We treat some of God's commands as suggestions, when biblically and authoritatively, they're commands from God, and failure to do them is what? Sin. And so it's when we do things like, it's not enough for us to say, don't murder, but do I also love my neighbor and love my enemies? I can omit those commands. It's not enough to just say, I'm not going to get a divorce, but are you loving your wife, honoring your husband, Ephesians 5? It's not enough to say, I'm not going to steal, but do I also give generously to those in need? Sins of commission that we commit, and sins of omission, the things that God commands that we omit. And so in verse 17, let's land back in this passage. What is the right thing we know to do and fail to do? What is James talking about here? Have I humbled myself to align with God's word, his wisdom, and his plans? See, a lot of times we, we treat our plans this way. I'm, it's not just about respecting God and then doing whatever you want. It's not just, and here's the one that most people do, it's not just, I'm going to make my plans and ask God to bless them. But it's in humility and dependence on God. Am I seeking him and his will and his plans for my life? And so the point of this last verse is that we need to pursue his plans intentionally based on God's precepts and priorities. Because we trust that his will will be glorious for him and good for me. And so we're asking ourselves, what does Jesus say about this situation that I'm planning for? What is the right thing according to him? And James says, if you know the will of God and you don't plan for it, you don't do the things aligned with it, James says it's what? Sin. So a lot of times we only think it's like, don't do the Ten Commandments. But what are the things God is commanding us to do that we're not doing? And so there's also two issues in this, in submitting ourselves to God's plan. The first I want you to consider is intentional priority. 
being intentional with our priority asks, what is the most important things that we need to plan for? What is God calling me to do? What is the top of the list of goals that God has for me? And so, of course, I want you to start with what's most important. Do you know Jesus? Do you confess your sins to Jesus? Have you received forgiveness and eternal life from Jesus? Are you ready at the end of your days, because your life is a mist, to stand before Jesus? That is the most important part of your plan, and it shapes the direction and destination of your entire existence. Now, priority requires clarity. And so there's innumerable things that will distract, distract you from the plans of God. And I want you to consider there are a lot of good things that you can do that are not best things. What I mean by that is, you know, that's a lot of secular counsel will give you stuff like that. But often the choice isn't between good and evil, but between good and best, or good and God. And so others' demands and expectations our lack of organization or prioritization, they make God's voice seem distant and quiet. And everyone and everything else is near and loud. And so this is what you do. You open up scriptures and you ask the Lord, speak to me. What do you want me to do? What do you want me not to do? And what happens is that gives us clarity and helps us set our priorities. Now, if you know God's will and you're wanting to do God's will, second, life is not only about intentional priority, but life should be intentionally urgent as well. We're talking about urgency. That's part of this. You see, there's a lot of unimportant things that shouldn't crowd out the important things. We don't know how much time we have. We cannot control the future. We can influence it, right? We can eat better and maybe live a little bit longer, but you can't control it because the clock is ticking. Our life is what? A breath. And so what we can control is the decisions that we make starting right now. That if Jesus is Lord over my life and my plans, what are the things that I'm supposed to be doing? And if I'm not doing them, they're sin. Now some things are clear. It's for everybody in his word. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Share the gospel. Pray constantly. Repent humbly, gather as a church regularly, give cheerfully, forgive generously. So there's a lot of things that we already know that's for everybody. But there are other things that are specific things that God has told you to do. It's not that everybody else needs to do it, but you do. And if you don't, you're not in obedience to God. That's sin. And so I think about back in 2001 when I was um, doing ministry here, we were praying for spiritual influence over two city blocks around church. Like, I really was praying that God would allow our church to have more impact on our local community so that we wouldn't just be a holy huddle here at church. And seven years later, seven years of praying and doing, starting and stopping different kinds of neighborhood ministry, in 2008, I was frustrated because it didn't seem like anything was happening. So I asked Jesus, why is there still no lasting impact of your presence of our church in this community? And a conviction in my heart that was louder than any audible voice, the voice of the Lord, because none of you live here. So I started praying, Lord, would you then maybe raise up believers, raise up followers of Jesus in this community that might join our church? 
And then again, conviction, the voice of the Holy Spirit, so clear, clearer than if you were standing next to me and, whisp- and speaking into my ear. You first. And so after two years of praying and studying the Word of God and studying this neighborhood with a group of friends, Jesus surprised us when, uh, as we were looking to move into this community, it took us some time of praying and conviction from the Lord, from Melissa and I, my wife. And, uh, and as I was driving down the street to go to Starbucks, uh, on an average workday, saw a sign. It wasn't even a for sale sign. It was just a bank-owned sign. And so curious, kind of called my wife, told her about it, and then she did, the re- she did all the hard work, to be honest. She called up uh, to find out what's going on with this house. Is it for sale? And she talked, and it turned out to be owned by a bunch of people. And long story short, we were surprised that we were able to buy a home on this same street, right here in, on Smalley Avenue, uh, down the street from the church. And I remember when we first moved in, my wife Melissa asked me, do you realize where we live? I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, aren't I? She responded, two city blocks. The very thing I've been praying for, for eight years. No, 10 years at that point, from 2001 to 2011. And every year after that, God would add a new wrinkle to the plan. To 2018, it just came back from a sabbatical. Okay, now we're going to, because of construction, uh, we need to find a place to rent and, and hold our services. God opened a door to Burbank Elementary School, 2018. Remember that? We pivoted very quickly. And some of you know the story. The principal there at that time was, would not rent out the school to anybody and was particularly not, uh, like, uh, not friendly with churches. Many churches had asked. And yet God opened the door. And it began a beautiful relationship for us to not only minister at Burbank, but to Burbank. In fact, I just received a text from the principal last week. 2019, through Benson, I was introduced to Pastor Brett, who lived uh, in that local community. And, uh, and it was, I thought, okay, great. There's a local pastor. I can have him come as a guest speaker. But that wasn't God's plan. His plan was, you know what? I'm going to introduce you to Brett. Brett is very pushy. He's going to make you go and do door-to-door evangelism in this community. Oh, gosh. My least favorite thing in the universe. Okay, Lord. Ministering to the community. That's 2019. 2020, we had a pandemic. And I thought, okay, we're done with neighborhood ministry for the year. But then Jesus launched this nonprofit through our very own Lori Campbell to provide groceries to our community. And the conviction of my heart was that our growth group and myself personally would get involved and make sure that we are touching human lives with the gospel by delivering groceries to our community to do that. And what I discovered was at each step along the way, Jesus continues to ask you, his plan isn't just one time do this one thing, but will you continue to follow me with the next step and the step after that and the step after that? Now, the point here is more that this is not necessarily the plan for you. We're all called, though, to be the gospel where we are. But for me, if I know the right thing to do, if I know God's plan for me and I fail to do it, it's what? And so let me ask you, what is Jesus nudging you to do? In your family, in your finances, in your future, what is that conviction from Scripture or prayer, from the Holy Spirit, or from godly wise counsel? And I want to challenge you. We cannot be proud and presumptuous. As soon as I take care of all these things, my education, my career, my portfolio, my retirement, 
then I will get to those things that the Lord has for me later. We need to get intentional about investing our priority and our urgency and our energy into best plans, into God's plans. If I told you that you only had 48 hours to live, what would come off of your schedule? What would you erase from your to-do list? Now, some of you are like me. You're exhausted. It's been a hard season. It wasn't a one-year vacation for you. And so the reality is the size of our plate, what we can handle, is limited. And the reality is we don't want to compare with other people because it seems like, how can that, that person can do so many things for God? Each person has a different capacity. Some of you have a, a dessert plate. That's the size of your plate. Some of you have a dinner plate, a little bit more capacity. Some of you have a platter. <laughs> Here's a buffet, and you can hold a lot of things on your plate, and that's fine. But God has given every single one of us some capacity. He also wants to give you some conviction. What needs to come off your plate to make room for God? What do you need to put on your plate in obedience to God? If the Lord wills, you'll live into your 80s, maybe 90s even. But we don't know. James says it's easy to live for ourselves, to brag about our plans, to have a sense of entitlement and arrogance that God wants to bless my plans that I came up with, but we don't know. Instead, he encourages us to seek out Jesus' plans. Seek to make them our plans if the Lord wills. One morning, a famed Swedish chemist, Alfred Nobel, was surprised to read his own obituary in the local newspaper. It read, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, died yesterday, devised the way for more people to be killed in war than ever before. And he died a very rich man. That was his obituary in the paper. Now, obviously he wasn't dead. It was actually, it turned out, his older brother who had died, and the reporter had mixed up who it was. But that account had a tremendous impact on him. He decided, I want to be remembered for something different. And as a result, he poured his resources into initiating what we now call the Nobel Prizes for outstanding contributions for humanity in various fields, including, this was the big one, fostering peace. The Nobel Peace Prize was the crown jewel of what he wanted. And this is what Alfred Nobel had to say. Every man ought to have a chance to correct his epitaph midstream and write a new one. If the plan that you've been writing for your life is ungodly, godless, or godlike, where Jesus is just a footnote instead of the header, it is not too late to write a different story, to head in a different direction, to arrive at a better destination. And the way that it works is plan ahead by practicing humility before God, that we come to Jesus, we bow before him as Lord who wills, our breath, our activity, and our destiny. And so we seek his plans and his authority over our life. And many people say they trust and worship and follow Jesus at church, but not in their plans. So hold your plans loosely. Submit your plans humbly. And pursue his plans intentionally. 
then make them your priority and urgency because life is what? A breath. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the power of your word to speak truth, to breathe life into us. And so we come before you humbly recognizing that we are not so in control and in charge of our future, of our direction, of the outcome of our lives, or our, even our legacy. And so we humbly ask, as we bow before you this morning, would you help us to turn our perspective and open our eyes to the reality from a kingdom perspective? Our lives are short. They're fragile. They're not under our control. But you are, Lord. And so if the Lord wills, if you will, God, would you speak to our hearts through your word and your wisdom. Teach us your plans, O oh God, that every follower of Jesus should be pursuing, but even the specific things that you're calling me to do. Give us courage, O oh God. Give us confidence. Because we know that if you will, then there is nothing that can stop your hand. Help us to make decisions that make you the priority, that make you the urgency in our lives. And if there's things that we need to surrender to you today, would you help us to do that work even as we sing this next song? May we hear from your voice, your Holy Spirit. Would you do surgery on us even now? Things that need to be cut out, things that need to be put onto our plate, and all of it submitted to you because you are Lord we want to pursue what you have for our lives. Best things, not just good things. If you will, Lord. In Jesus' name.